Welcome to Wuffles Press Box Podcast, where we discuss the latest topics in the professional world of sports. Enjoy our exclusive interviews with athletes, coaches, insiders, and fans. And now, here's your host, Gary Wuffle. The Green Bay Packers are on fire after torsing the Vikings for 43 points in the opener. The Packers scorched the Lions for 42. The Packers are definitely rolling at 2-0. Thanks for joining us today. I'm Gary Wolfel, and with me as usual every week is Rob Reichel, the outstanding Packers reporter for Forbes.com and Conley Media. Hi, Rob. Morning, Gary. How are you doing? I'm waking up. <laughs> I ended up watching the uh, NFL game uh, on Monday night and, you know, I wanted to just get a sneak preview of the Saints. And then after that was over, I turned on Sports Center, And before you know, it was like two, three in the morning. So other than that, good. You live like, you live like a college kid, Gary. Oh, I wish. Say <laughs> so, uh, a lot of topics to discuss today about the Packers. Man, I'll tell you what, there are so many positives going on with that team, but probably nobody's been a more positive influence on their fast start than Aaron Jones. The guy has rushed for 234 yards and three touchdowns. He's had 78 receptions and a touchdown. Can't get off to a much better start than that, huh, Rob? No, and, and I'm sure we're going to delve in here as we go, Gary, about the fact he's a looming unrestricted free agent when the season is done and what the other running backs around the league have gotten here in the last year or so and and where Jones kind of shapes up and ranks versus those guys. But just for the immediacy, Gary, for the here and now, I've already heard a lot of stuff around the league of, of Russell Wilson for MVP and, you know, the Patrick Mahomes and Lamar Jackson and Aaron Rodgers. I'm telling you, Gary, I know we're two games in, which is 12.5% of the season, Gary. Aaron Jones is off to the kind of start where – we haven't had a running back get the MVP in this league in, in more than a decade. Is that what it is? Up. A decade? Yeah, I think it's Adrian Peterson in the late O's maybe. That year he went over 2,000. It, it goes to quarterbacks. It's a quarterback award these mm-hmm. days, Gary. I'll have to look it up. But one of those years where Peterson broke the rushing record, whatever that was, 9 or 10, somewhere in there, sure. he got it. And uh, I, I think it's been all quarterbacks since then. And, again, we're two games in. It's a very small sample size. But Aaron Jones and the kind of start that he's off to, Gary, he will absolutely have to factor into that MVP race if he even comes close to keeping this up. The Packers are number one in the league in points, in yards, in rushing offense. They're the sixth team in NFL history, Gary, to amass 1,000 yards or more in the first two games of the season. Just, just five before them have done this. They're over 1,000 total yards. They became the sixth team in league history to do it, and and history shows the teams that do that, Gary, have, have remarkably successful seasons. And Aaron Jones is the number one biggest reason why that's happening. I'll tell you what, if I'm Aaron Jones, I would drop my agent and uh, just have you be his. <laughs> you came equipped with some uh, interesting stats there. Hey, I'll take that 3%, Gary. Hey, is that true that he's his own agent, do you know? Uh, no, I don't think he is his own agent. Oh, Okay. Getting back to the contract situation, I think that's on the minds of a lot of people around the NFL and probably with Aaron Jones himself. Uh, the two running backs, I mean, a bunch of running backs got new deals recently, but the two running backs that come to mind for me are Delvin Cook of the Minnesota Vikings and Elvin Kamara from New Orleans. And Cook got a five-year, $63 million deal that averages out to $12.6 million a year. 
he got a $15.5 million signing bonus. And then you look at Camara, and he got even more. He got five years, $75 million. That averages out to $15 million. He also got a $15 million signing bonus, which is, you know, comparable to what Cook got. What do you think is in store for uh, Aaron Jones? So the key numbers on all, all those, Gary, and, and, and I think fans need to remember, agents will always trot it out there. You know this, Gary, from all your time dealing with agents in the NBA and stuff like that. They'll trot out that $75 million, for example, on Kamara is the big number, right? Five years, $75 million. The agent will pump out his chest and, and beat his chest a little bit and say, I got him $15 million a year. Let's look at Kamara, for example, though, Gary. 33.8 of that is all that was guaranteed. So about 34 million out of 75 is all that's guaranteed. Sure. And the Saints have a real easy out after 2024, Gary. It's $3 million is all that's left from a dead cap standpoint. So they'll in essence have Kamara at a reasonable rate for the next three years. And maybe reasonable is a stretch, but you know, in that 12, 13 million a year range, his cap hits, I'm just looking here, Gary, are in the $14 million range. So that, uh-huh. that's not horrible. And let's just say he's 28, 29 years old and beat up and the Saints want to move on, much like the Rams did here with Todd Gurley last offseason. They can go ahead and do it leading into the 2024 season, Gary, for $3 million. Let's look at Cook, for example. Again, five years, $63 million, right? The agent mm-hmm. sticks out his chest and pats himself on the back for getting $63 million. He didn't get $63 million, Gary. He got $28 million. That's what Cook got guaranteed. 15 okay, in the it, signing it, bonus. It, 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 Okay, one second, Rob. Kamara got how much guaranteed? Kamara got 34 about Gary guaranteed. 34. Cook okay. got 28 guaranteed. Okay, not, not too far apart. Not terribly far apart, but again, both of these guys got about 40% of the money guaranteed, Gary. You look at Kamara, it's 34 out of 75. You mm-hmm. look at Cook, it's uh, 28 out of 63. So somewhere between 40 and 45% on each guy, Gary, is what they were guaranteed of that overall contract. The bottom line is they're not going to see the last year or two of that deal. The contracts were backloaded. They became team-friendly. For example, Gary, in 2025, Kamara counts $25 million against the cap. Mm-hmm. I can promise you right now he will never see that $25 million. The Saints will not take <laughs> a, a $25 million hit for a running back in the final year of his contract. Similar numbers on Dalvin Cook, where the Vikings, after 2023, have an easy out where the dead cap is 6.2. The Packers have four unbelievably important key players coming up in unrestricted free agency. They have the left tackle, David Bakhtiari, who, I mean, let's be honest, Gary, I I don't think it's a stretch to say if he has another four or five years like he's had the last four or five years, he's going to go to the Hall of Fame. He's trending in that direction. They have one of the top three running backs in the league, obviously, in, in Aaron Jones. They've got a top five center in football in Corey Lindsley, who's going to become an unrestricted free agent. And they've got a corner in Kevin King, who's at worst a high-level number two, at best probably, you know, the back end of the number ones. The bottom line is King gives them a a cornerback combination, Gary, that they haven't had in quite a while when you pair him with Jair Alexander. And there's only so much money to go around. So if yeah. you're Brian Gutekunst, Gary, it's, it's unbelievably tricky as you as you try to rank your board and say, do we pay Bakhtiari and Lindsley, right? Do we pay Jones and King? Do we only pay one of them? How can we pay all four of them? This is why Gutekunst gets the big bucks and Russ Ball and all the people over there. It's going to be a remarkably tricky uh, situation for them to bring back. Three of them might be a stretch, Gary, and more realistically, maybe just two of them. 
Okay. Yeah. I, I, you know what? I totally agree with you. So get, getting back to Jones's potential contract on the surface, do you, do you think he gets five years like the other two? I think he's better than Dalvin Cook in Minnesota. Yes, and if I I'm totally agree. That's what I'm selling. Mike McCarthy completely misused him for two years. Didn't really understand the weapon that he had there. Matt LaFleur has figured it out, and he's taking full advantage. I think he's the best running back in the division, and he's a better player than Cook. I think he's on a par probably, Gary, with Kamara, who, again, got 5-75, and 75, but 34 of that is guaranteed. Right. I think you can certainly make a case that Jones deserves at least that much money, maybe more. You saw it, you know, you saw it Sunday against the Lions. Gary, they, they split him out as, a, as a, in essence, a wide receiver 10 or 11 times. It's not just swing passes out of the backfield like you saw back in the day to Edgar Bennett and Amon Green. They're lining him up as a wide receiver against corners. And corners can't cover him, Gary. He high-pointed the one ball on the 30-yard gain uh, in the Detroit game, and he went up over a corner to catch it. And I I'm telling you, MVSR probably don't make that catch. It's, it was a Pro Bowl-level catch. He's an unbelievable pass catcher, too. The Lions came at one point on a blitz, and he had to pick up a 240-pound uh, linebacker named Davis. Yes. Who, yep, who is just an absolute beast and a terrific football player, and Jones held his own, and Rodgers had that extra split second to go downfield and hit MVS with a 40-yarder. This guy's a complete football player, and, and they've got enough depth at the position, Gary, that the, the ding and the knock on him the first couple of years was, can he stay healthy? He's a little bit undersized. Well, he's stronger now. He's done a ton of work on his legs. He held up all last season, played all 18 games. I think for the next three years, he's going to remain among the elite backs in football, and I just don't know how you let a guy like that get out of town, Gary. You know, Rob, I agree with you 100% on everything you said. I kept thinking of that block he made on Davis. My goodness, you know what? If I'm Matt LaFleur, I show that play to everybody on the team and say, hey, this is what it takes. Because I thought Aaron Jones was just going to get annihilated. I mean, that guy was like a bull coming at him, and he held his ground. And then you saw on the flip side later on in that game, Gary, Adrian Peterson tried to pick up a blitzing Rashawn Gary at one point, yes. and Gary just threw him away like he was a rag doll. I mean, some backs are made to do that, some aren't. Aaron Jones is not by any means one of the bigger guys at his position in football. He's probably 205, 208, 210 maybe, but he's a strong guy, and, and that's where he's made unbelievable strides is he's a three-down back now, mm -hmm. Gary. You, you can leave him in and pass pro to, to pick up blitzers. You can flank him out and throw him the ball on third down. You can run him all day long, and they've got another guy in Jamal Williams who can do that. The little bit we've seen of Dylan has been impressive too. I think we talked about this on the show last week. This could go down as the best backfield that uh, the Packers have had in our lives, Gary, and, and probably the best backfield dating back to, to Taylor and Horning. That, that's the way this group is trending right now. It, uh, the, the Packers have only been in the top 10 in rushing three, uh, twice, Gary, in the last 50 years. In the last three and 50? In 13. Did you say 5-0? Since 1972, so really 48. Oh, but, my goodness. Um, yeah. Oh, I, yeah, I didn't they realize were, that. They were, th they were third yeah. in 03 when Amon Green was going wild, yep. and they were seventh in 13 when Eddie Lacy really broke on the scene and had a monster year. Aside from that, if, if you go back through the, through the media guide and the history books, Gary, they're in the 20s most years. They, they've been a passing team since Favre showed up in 92. That's how they've – 
That's how they've moved the ball by air, not by ground. But now they can do it both ways. And, and really, LaFleur wants to be as close as possible to a 50-50 split, I think, week in and week out. And he hasn't had this, this kind of weaponry in his backfield probably at any stop in his coaching career. <laughs> yeah, and and like I said earlier, this I think we could look back years from now and say that that was the best Packer backfield, uh, again, since, since those 60s groups with Lombardi. Okay, you said 72, right? Let me, let me get this right. I'm still trying to comprehend it. That is mind-boggling. Now, <laughs> se- 72. Now, now may, maybe you know this off the top of your head. I, I don't, but I'm guessing that was the year they had Brockington, and MacArthur Lane, right? That's, exact, no? that's exactly right. That was the heyday of Divine. Where they basically ran the ball in every play because they had an infamous quarterback named Scott Hunter, who, by the way, I got his autograph one time when I was a little kid. But, hey, <laughs> that's another story. But that, that to me, was I'm the guessing best. That, I'm, guessing that, uh, I'm guessing that didn't pay a semester of college for you, Gary. <laughs> Not a day, <laughs> much less a semester. But I, I'll tell meal. you, that, that was one incredible backfield. I will say that. I mean, you had just two just monster running backs. And uh, I, I can see why Divine, you know, ran the ball so much with those two. So uh, moving along. You know the other thing about this, Rob. All the we, the we were talking about Cook, we were talking about Kamara and Jones. They're all twenty five years old. I, I, right. I didn't realize that till yesterday. I started looking it and, up. So, Gary, let, let me make one more point here on those free agents that I talked about earlier. Oh, um, sure. Because because they've got uh, they've they've really got those big four who again are all are all really in the primes of, of their career. Corey Lindsley's a little bit older. Um, it'd be his, it'd be his third contract with the team. I guess it'd be Bakhtiari's third contract too, but Bakhtiari's still 28. Like I said, it's going to be tough to get all four of those guys done. Bakhtiari, Jones, Lindsley, and King. And I've broken down their salary cap in, in a couple different ways and, and looked at these numbers. You remember the Tuesday in March of 2019 when they signed the four free agents, it was all within a couple hours. They signed the two Smiths. They signed mm-hmm. uh, Adrian Amos, the safety, and they signed Billy Turner, the offensive lineman. All of those, Gary, were four-year deals at the time. But if you examined them closely, the Packers had real easy outs after two years with a lot of those, with actually all four of those players, and unbelievably easy outs after three years with them where it just wasn't going to hurt them in yes. terms of salary cap stuff and, 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 and dead cap money and things like that. Well, now, Zadarius Smith isn't going to go anywhere. Gary, I, I think we can all agree on that. He, he's gonna, they're going to want him around all four years. But if you look at Billy Turner now, who I think has got a long road back to winning his starting job, he had signed a four-year $28 million deal. And the dead money on him, if they, if they dump him this next offseason, is $4.5 million. And if they do it after 2021, that number gets cut in half. So it's uh, $2.25 million. Same thing with Preston Smith. He signed a huge deal, four for 52. But his dead money after this year, Gary, is only $8 million. And then mm. after 2021, it goes down to $4 million. Same deal again with Adrian Amos, who's in essence a box safety, who, you know, who, who's pretty darn stiff. They, they can find a replacement for Adrian Amos, I think, pretty simple, pretty easily, and save themselves some money. He signed that four-year $36 million deal. His dead cap money after this year is 5.5, Gary. After 2021, you cut it in half, it's 2.75. So I would immediately look to guys like that as I'm trying to get Bakhtiari and Jones done and maybe the and maybe Kevin King at corner. Um, I, I would look at some of those other guys who have high numbers on the books and get them to either renegotiate their contracts 
or potentially move on from those players where the dead cap money isn't going to kill you. You know what? I totally agree. I, I am agreeing with you way too much, you know, to make this a really fascinating podcast, right? <laughs> we, we need some conflict here, Rob. But You know, Gary, yeah. I, I used to do a radio show with a guy. I used to do a radio show with a guy, Gary, and all we did was fight. So this is nice. <laughs> you know what? It's also a perfect segue into our next topic. You, you were talking about the Smiths. Why did the Packers draft Rashawn Gary when they decided to make him an outside linebacker? I mean, this guy was the 12th pick overall in last year's draft. He had a lot of doubters, although one of my best sources in the NFL is a longtime scouting director, and he raved about Rashawn Gary. Like a, a few minutes before, uh, the Packers actually selected Gary. Another NFL guy texted me that they were going to take Gary, and I'm just going, you got to be kidding me. Not that Gary's a bad player by, by any stretch, but I, personally I wanted them to take uh, the tight end Noah Font, who uh, went to the Broncos. But, you know, last year, you know, now you, you can disagree with me, but I thought last year was an absolute waste for Rashawn Gary. Well, I agree with you, too. You have to keep in mind he was making a position change. It's interesting, though, Gary, after the Packers drafted him, I probably talked to between 20 and 30 guys who he either played with or he played against in the Big Ten. I talked mm -hmm. to all his people at Michigan. I talked to his teammates who were still at Michigan, his teammates that were drafted. I talked to all sorts of offensive linemen from around the Big Ten who had to try to block Gary. And the general consensus was his teammate, Chase Winovich, who went in the third round of the Patriots, yes. most people I talked to believed Winovich was going to be a better player than Gary was. And to be honest, Winovich is going to be a, a, a really He's good a player. He had six player. sacks yeah. for the rookie. Yeah, he had six sacks for a rookie for with Belichick, and he's trending upward. He, he's the, the difference was Gary played defensive end at Michigan, and mm -hmm. they asked him all those years to take on double-team blocks yes. and free things up inside their scheme for other guys to go and make the play. So he didn't jump out on film, Gary, because he was really just gobbling up blocks. So now he's got to make a positional switch in Green Bay and go from having his hand in the dirt to, to a stand-up outside linebacker and, and trying to get after qu quarterbacks, every now and then being asked to cover a totally different – job a totally different role a totally different skill set than what he had used and done at Michigan so there was a learning curve now you have to remember Gary the kids got dyslexia so the learning part of it isn't always that easy for him um, I think he scored a nine on the Wonderlick, which is, is as you well know is not a high score the average I think in the league is about 22 you know that was a real concerning number he had the shoulder injury that did, did not labrum, need yep. surgery mm -hmm. but it certainly needed an offseason to heal up well, Gary, he's come back this year after really a disappointing rookie year with, with just two sacks. And, and throughout the summer, Gary, he, he was lighting things up on the practice field. He was one of the most active players that they had. You, you could clearly tell back in August that he had made a substantial jump. And now he's proving it on the field here the, these first couple games. The Packers have two interceptions on both of them. Gary had the pressure on the play. He had a sack and a half the other day. And they weren't just garbage sacks, Gary. They were both around three seconds. One was 2.7, one was 3.5. You know, when you start to get to five, six, seven seconds on yeah. a sack, that's a coverage yeah. sack. That's not a, you know, that, that's not the defensive end or the outside linebacker making that sack. That's a coverage, you know, when you get past four or five seconds, that's a coverage sack. Gary got home quickly the other day, Gary. 
2.7 and 3.5 are remarkable times or really good times. Boy, he's, uh, he's, he's just a boatload of energy right now. He's that energizer bunny that, that isn't quitting. His snaps are going to go up. I think he's going to start stealing some of Preston Smith's snaps. I've had some people suggest to me they think by the end of the year, Gary will be playing more than Preston Smith. We'll see on that. Zadarius, they obviously can't take off the field. But if you are starting to limit snap counts, I could see Rashawn Gary passing Preston Smith at some point in time. Regardless how it plays out, they have three very high-level outside linebackers. And, and like I touched on in the, in the last segment, they're going to have to make some tough decisions. How much money can they spend on that particular position? I'm sounding like a broken record here, but I agree. But at, at the same point, you have the 12th pick in the draft. You better get a guy that comes in and makes an impact. I mean, that's, that's a lofty pick. And when they went out and got Smith, Smiths for each side of the uh, defensive uh, linebacking crew there, I, I thought, okay, you're not going to go for another linebacker. Interestingly enough, Rob, the, the player personnel director I talked to believed that Gary would be an exceptional defensive end. And the guy that he kept mentioning to me, was Michael Strahan. He goes, I'm telling you, he could be another Strahan. And uh, this, this guy, Sky High on him, I, I talked to him just recently, and he said the problem with the Packers is they got to get him on the field more. We'll see if that happens. Well, it, it's certainly been an encouraging start for his second year. And, it, Gary, it's always interesting when, when you watch these guys over the summer, especially the young guys, and you, and you can see the monumental leap some players take. You know, I can – I think back to like the summer of 09 and uh, I, you know, Jermichael Finley was a rookie in 08 and, and you remember he kind of came on late in that season, but that, that summer of 09, you could just see a remarkable jump. He was lighting people up all over that mm-hmm. practice field in green Bay that summer. And, and sure enough, he went on to have a big year in 09 and he'd probably be talked about among the great Packer tight ends of all time. If his, his career hadn't ended prematurely with the neck, you know, Gary is one of those guys who, who took a jump like that through the course of the summer. And he always looked for that in, in training camp with the young guys and, and who's making that jump from year one to two and from year two to three, he was undoubtedly the guy this summer that flashed the most out of those young guys that they had. And, a lot of people beat the heck out of Brian Gutekunst for that pick, um, even up and through the majority of this summer. But right now it's looking like it, it could pay off in spades. He, be, he might just be a late bloomer at, the, at that particular outside linebacker position. And um, if, if, if he pans out, like I said earlier, it's probably going to make a guy like Preston Smith um, you know, less important to what they do and, and maybe give the Packers a chance to, to move on from that player and free some money up to sign guys like Bakhtiari and Aaron Jones. You know what I would do with him, Rob? I would play him inside at linebacker. And I'll tell you what, he's 6'5". At inside linebacker, Gary? Yeah, yeah, I think he's athletic enough to play that spot. And he's, what, about 275, I'm guessing, somewhere in that ballpark? I would keep my playmakers on the field and find a way to get them into the game, whether it's uh, inside linebacker or defensive well, end. I don't disagree with you in terms of his athleticism. He is 280, and with what they ask their inside linebackers to do, so a lot of that is coverage and stuff like mm-hmm. that. I don't, you know, 6'5", 280 isn't exactly ideal from a size standpoint to jump in and play inside linebacker. I mean, they've had outside linebackers do it before though. I mean, Clay Matthews did it. Yeah, you remember the it, one year yes, in absolutely. 14 when, when the run defense was, 
was just god awful and and I think they were dead last in the league in 14 at the midseason point and Dom Capers kicked Clay Matthews inside the second half and I think they the second half of that season they were, were a top five run defense largely because of Clay and of course that was the year they lost to the Seahawks in the you know in the NFC championship game that people around here are never going to forget but that was a huge move in that particular season. They had a bye week after week eight, and then in week nine, Dom Capers kicked Clay inside, and it, it changed things. I would leave Rashawn Gary absolutely alone. Uh, it's a brand-new position in terms of from what he, what he played in college when he, when he was a, a defensive end uh, in a 4-3. Now he's a stand-up outside linebacker in a 3-4, so he's already, he's already had to learn one new position in the 18 months or whatever since he's been drafted, and uh, I, I don't think I would add that to his plate right now. This could be a whole other topic for us. There, there's no question Green Bay needs <laughs> okay, to find some okay, answers. Let, 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 let me uh, revamp my comment here. How about if you put Preston Smith inside? Could he do it? How about you find a couple defensive linemen that can play? Yeah, <laughs> and then you have to start throwing around with, with all your linebackers because they actually do have pretty good linebackers this season. They're, they're, just, they're really thin up front, and, yeah. and obviously now with Kenny Clark down, who's far and away their best player up front. They just, they just don't have a lot on that side of the ball. Uh, a lot of people this particular offseason, and you know this, Gary, went, really wanted the Packers to add a wide receiver in the draft when they took Jordan Love in round one and even A.J. Dillon in round two. I said all along they needed another, another guy up front on that defensive line. Absolutely. Because Dean Lowry is the picture of mediocrity. Absolutely. Nice guy, good, you know, okay player, but he should be about your fourth or fifth defensive lineman, not your second best. Uh, they've been trying to make Montrevious Adams a player for four years. They've struck out. That's not going to happen. They've got Kingsley Kiki, who flashes a little bit. And he's, he, he's semi-athletic. And Tyler Lancaster is an undrafted guy, and he's undrafted for a reason. So they just don't have a lot up front. Gary, if that Lions game hadn't gotten out of hand, I think the Packers outscored them, what, 31 nothing or something in those middle two quarters the mm-hmm. other day. If that game had not gotten out of hand like it did, the Lions would have run the ball all day. The Lions were 16 carries for 80 yards at halftime, which is 5.0 a pop. If that game was close and let's say it was 34-31 or something and the Lions hung around, they wouldn't have had to throw the ball 90% of the time in the second half. They would have hammered away with those running backs. And Green Bay's going to hit teams like that. They might hit them on, on Sunday night with the Saints. When you pick apart film on Green Bay and you look at things, Far and away the easiest path to beating the Packers is to run the ball like the 49ers did in the no NFC question. Championship. No question. The, the key is you just have to stay close. You can't be one-dimensional because Green Bay is going to score some points. They're pro- they've proven that. But the key is, you know, you've got to hang around and you've got to still take advantage of the fact that the Packers absolutely cannot stop the run, Gary. Uh, the numbers are going to be deceiving from Sunday just because the Lions had to abandon the run. But when Green Bay starts to see some some of these teams coming up on the schedule again, Kamara on, on Sunday night with the Saints could have a monster game. You know, earlier uh, I had mentioned about Aaron Jones possibly being his own agent. I, I was confusing him actually with Rashawn Gary. I think when Rashawn Gary came out, he represented himself. And I, I was wondering, is that still the case, do you know? You know, I don't know that for sure on, on Rashawn. A lot of these guys have, and not a lot, but there's one or two on every team now that have kind of just started to do themselves because the NFL went to that slotted system of, of salary, especially with the rookies, uh, about five, six years ago. 
the, you remember, Gary, the, 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 the money being given to, to the guys at the top of the draft became just so unbelievably outrageous. I think Sam Bradford was the last quarterback to get just ridiculous money. You know, the, the Jamarcus Russells of the world would get, would get tons of money right out of the chute, and if they didn't pan out, it left a team in salary cap hell for years and years and years. So I think in that CBA that was done in 2011, it really cut into the rookie pool and guys became slotted in essence. And, and so you really didn't need to hire a guy and give him 3% because all you had to do was look back to the previous year and see what did pick number 15 get? What did pick number 40 get? What did pick number 90 get? And you could pretty much do your own math and go from there. Where it becomes pretty important to have an agent, Gary, is that second contract, which Aaron Jones will be, a guy like Aaron Jones will be on right now. And now you start comparing that or lining it up to the Dalvin Cooks of the world, to the Kamaras, to the Derrick Henrys uh, in Tennessee. And, and if you want to get top five big boy kind of money, you better have <laughs> a pretty smart guy putting together the numbers for you. Exactly. Somebody like Rob Reichel, who has the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's the case. Gary. <laughs> you if, know, Rob, if so I got into the wrong career. I was going to say, there's still time to transition, you know? But uh, You're anyway, never too old, right? Yeah. Two topics I wanted to touch on before we uh, call it a wrap here. One is uh, Lambeau Field and that empty stadium last Sunday. I mean, how bizarre was that? Yeah, it's usually a two-hour drive from my house, Gary. I made it in an hour 40 because uh, <laughs> there, was, there was nobody on the roads going north to Green Bay, which was, which was actually you know, a beautiful thing for a guy driving a car, but a terrible thing for the players and, and everybody else. It's, it was just eerie pulling into the, to the Lambeau Field lot and, and not seeing a car or a person anywhere, not seeing a wild tailgate festivities going on at Kroll's across the street and mm-hmm. establishments like that in, in Green Bay. Uh, they send media guys to a COVID tent to, to get tested. There's plexiglass now in, in, the, in the press box between people, which, you know, for guys that had to sit, sit next to me in the first place, Gary, they, they were probably pretty happy about that. They actually had a barrier now that they didn't. Yeah, have to you know what, Rob, I, I was going to leave that alone, but. Uh, <laughs> I put it on the tee for myself, Gary. And, <laughs> there, you, uh, there you go. Yeah. You, you the, got big uh, shoulders. No, just, just, just crazy. I mean, to, to look out at that place, which is usually going wild and touchdowns are scored and fans are going nuts as the as the fireworks go off the fireworks still went off but you know to to not a peep in the in the building and guys were doing their lambo leaps to nobody even the lions uh got a little smug there and uh, did a lambo leap right right and and why not you're not going to get a beer poured on you you're not going to get <laughs> you know pushed back by the six guys in the front row from baraboo so it's uh it's going to be a weird couple of games. We'll, we'll see where the Packers go after uh, week four, Gary. They've got that home Monday night game. And then, you know, they've said right now, no fans for the first two, and then they'll reevaluate. You know, Jerry Jones last week had about 25% capacity down in his building. I think there were some fans at the Chiefs game for, for the season opener. Every, everybody's kind of, kind of going game to game and week to week. And, you know, we'll see what the Packers do from here. But even if they open it up to 10 or 15 or 20,000 people, it's, it's still going to be bizarre. But that would probably still feel a lot closer to normal than what we saw on Sunday. Oh, no question. You know, I thought the Chiefs set the tone, though. You know, the first game of the year, I don't know how many thousands of people they had there. And it worked. I mean, you didn't 
get all these stories the following day that, you know, 500 people suddenly got COVID. I, I think only one person that I read got COVID from the game. To me, like, they set the tone. I know the uh, Colts had fans also on Sunday against the Vikings. So I think it's it, it's time, you know, especially what is the capacity of Lambeau, like 78,000 or whatever it is? Yeah, it's in the low 80s now. And, and again, it, it all this doesn't, doesn't all this just come down to being smart, social distancing, space yourself out, put on your mask. If you and I are both in row 18, but I'm in seat two and you're in seat six, um, and we've got 12 feet between us. I mean, why not do that and, and spread them out through the building and, and let them get a little bit loud. And, and again, you just got to be smart. The Packers score a touchdown. You don't go hug your neighbor this year. You don't high five anybody. You, you stand there and you clap and you cheer and you get as loud as possible, but you leave on your mask. I, I don't know. Some of this to me, Gary, always comes back to common sense. Sadly, you know, there's, there's a chunk of society that just doesn't have it. And you know what? They, they can monitor the fans, too. I mean, if somebody abuses the right, doesn't, you know, social distance, throw them out, you know? Right. Just don't put up with it. Absolutely. You don't, and, and, you don't, you don't redo that ticket. Interestingly enough, the NFL did that with their coaches. I, I don't know if you saw that, Rob, but they, they fined three NFL coaches for not wearing a mask. I think it was $100,000 each. In addition, they fined those teams, I think, another – if I'm not mistaken, 200,000. So the NFL, I, I give them a ton of credit that they are staying on top of this. Yeah, I think the total fines uh, wound up in the million-dollar vicinity, if I'm not mistaken, Gary. Right. For the three of them, right? And, and, yeah. and we talked about this a couple weeks ago. The NFL fully understands that, that, that if they're going to have any chance to get to January or February, they, they can't have one misstep along the way. I mean, they, they, they really just can't. They've been unbelievably diligent leading up to this all through, you know, the, the virtual and then the, the truncated training camps that, that teams had. They've been fantastically smart. All the systems are in place inside the building. And I give the NFL credit when they see somebody even take a half a step out of line, like, like trying to go through a game without, a, without your face mask on and, and things like that, they're going to absolutely levy and, and bring down the hammer and levy the fines. And, and they're doing the right thing there, Gary, because I can guarantee you those people will be masked up next week. All right, let's uh, wrap it up with this topic. Packers-Saints Monday night, or I should say Sunday night, in New Orleans. And uh, after the Packers game on Sunday, I thought, man, this is going to be a preview of the NFC uh, Championship. I mean, two high-powered offenses. And then I watched the game last night. I wasn't surprised. I was shocked at how shoddy the, the Saints looked, number one. And number two, I have serious reservations about Drew Brees' ability to uh, throw the deep ball anymore. You know, if, that, if that's the case, you know, I, th I like the Packers' chances. Oh, I agree with you. And I think teams have caught up a little bit to Drew. And he is 41, and he holds the majority of, of passing records that we have right now in, in the league, Gary, and passing yards and completions and touchdown passes for a career. Drew Brees has all of those. But if you go back and trace his history, it's short. It's intermediate stuff. It, it's quick hitters. Yes. The ball's out of his hands quickly. He's not holding that ball four, five, six seconds and letting plays develop downfield you know, where, where, where he's throwing it 40, 50 yards downfield. The key to him is to disrupt that rhythm early and kind of stack that box and, and try to break up the short intermediate stuff and force him later on to go down the field, Gary, because 
I'll be honest, I, I'm with you. He does not – his arm is in the bottom ten of starting quarterbacks. Now, his brain and his accuracy, everything else that you want in a quarterback is still top five. But straight-up arm strength, he's in the bottom ten. And if you can force him to throw the ball a little bit further down the field than he's comfortable doing – further than that 8, 10, 12-yard safe stuff, that's when you can start getting into his head a little bit and probably get some interceptions and enforce some turnovers. The guy's obviously a, a first ballot Hall, Hall of Famer. He's a, he's a top 15 or 20 quarterback of, of all time. But, mm-hmm. but Gary, I, I'm with you. That arm strength isn't great anymore, and I think Green Bay's corners are going to have a chance in this game to make some plays, especially if Michael Thomas, their, their all-world wide receiver, misses another game. They, they were without him last night. Thomas last year, if you remember, had 149 catches, which is an all-time single-season record in the NFL. I mean, the guy's a monster. He, he's an all-time stud, and he didn't play last night, and, and he, his injury is one we're going to have to monitor closely through the week because if he's out, Gary, they don't have a lot behind him in terms of, of guys that have even close to the ability to him and step up to be a number one wide receiver. Emmanuel Sanders, their big offseason acquisition from San Francisco is 33. He's seen better days. He's not a number one anymore. He's probably more like a number three. They, they don't have a number one on, uh, on the roster. Their number one wide receiver, Gary, probably becomes Alvin Kamara, kind of yeah, like Green Bay's no, will no, become no Aaron question. Jones with Devontae Adams having this. They'll throw Kamara 15 balls in the game come Monday night. I think the Raiders had a nice blueprint last night uh, to slow Breeze and that group down. Breeze and the Saints got off to a fast start, and the Raiders adjusted quickly. If you can slow Breeze down a little bit, and, 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 and let's be honest, Gary, no fans again in New Orleans come Sunday night is a huge advantage for Green Bay, and especially the Packer offense. I kind of have a feeling Green Bay's got a chance to go down there and steal one. Yeah, I, I totally agree. You know, a little side story to the Michael Thomas situation is he was going to consult with Dr. Anderson in Green Bay, and Dr. Anderson just happens to be the Green Bay Packers team doctor. Is that crazy or what? <laughs> and Anderson's one of the most respected guys in he is, you know, kind of in his field, and guys from all across the league go to him. So occasionally you're going to get that quote-unquote conflict of interest or just, you know, unique situations like this with Thomas coming up and then and then the Packers getting ready to play the Saints. Yeah, that it is definitely bizarre. It's, it's, it's certainly interesting. And, and like we touched on earlier, the Saints aren't even close to the same team without Thomas. He, he's worth at least a touchdown in those games, Gary. Do you think uh, Dr. Anderson's going to take some ribbing from the Packers this week? <laughs> <laughs> How loyal are I, I, you? I think, <laughs> I think they fully understand what his job description and his actual duties are. But but it is interesting that he's a Green Bay guy and he's inside, you know, he, he's just kind of inside the town there. You know, this Dr. Anderson is becoming really re- respected, not only in the NFL, but in the NBA. There are a couple guys from the NBA that went to him uh, this past season, so... He's going to be a, a figure that's going to become more and more known, you know, around the country. That is really interesting. You know, just back to that game real quickly, Gary. It, it, I mean, it, it's huge early on if, if you really do look at it. I mean, the Saints have won that division three years in a row. Mm-hmm. And, and if they fall to one and two, they're in a little bit of trouble. I mean, right, right now to me, Green Bay and probably those four teams in the NFC West who I think are – are all really, really good. The Seahawks, the Rams, the Cardinals, and the 49ers, to me, have kind of jumped out and established themselves as the class of the conference right now. I mean, that NFC East is 
terrible with the Cowboys, the Giants, the Redskins, and the Eagles. And the Saints are in a division there in the South that I think is kind of ho-hum. Um, the Saints have a chance to be okay, I still think, and, the, and Tampa Bay does too. But the Falcons and the, and the Carolina Panthers are going nowhere fast. So, Gary, if Green Bay can go down there and steal one and jump out to 3-0 and here and then have a home game coming up and then go into the bye potentially at 4-0, and they're setting themselves up for potentially a very memorable January again where they're hosting playoff games and, and they're a number one or a number two seed or something like that inside the conference. I think when everybody looked at the Packers' schedule when it first came out, everybody kind of agreed the first half was unbelievably daunting and things lightened up in the second half. And, mm-hmm. and I always warn people, don't put too much stock in what a schedule looks like in April because teams look a lot different come September, October, especially after injuries hit. But there's no question that second half of the Packers schedule looks lighter than the first half. And if the Packers can steal one in New Orleans and then take care of the Falcons on a Monday night here coming back eight days later, Gary, and get to their bye week, they've got that weird bye week already in week five. Um, if they can get to that bye week at 4-0, and I'm telling you, they're positioning themselves extremely well for one hell of a January. You know what, Rob? You were, you were talking about the Saints, the Packers, the NFC West. I'll tell you the team that I really, really like at this point, besides the Packers, is Seattle. Their, yep. their acquisition of Jamal Adams, I just don't think people realize how huge that was. This guy is an impact player, and uh, he's, he's really, really helped improve that defense already. And, Gary, I think the biggest thing they've done since last year is I, there was clearly a philosophical change inside that organization. I, I remember – after the playoff game last year between Green Bay and Seattle, as I was leaving, I, I said to some people, if, if Pete Carroll had given Russell Wilson the freedom for 60 minutes to do what he did, to do the things he did in the final 30 minutes, Seattle would have won that playoff game, Gary. But yes. Pete Carroll loves to bang away and bang away and bang away with the run game. And now all of a sudden, you know, it's 14-9, or in that particular game, he was down 21-3. And he turns to Russell and he says, can you find a way to bail us out? Can you find us a way to win the game? <laughs> yeah, and, and, and honestly, precisely. 75% of the time, Russell Wilson's done it. He, I mean, he, to me, he's far and away the most talented and, and elite and fantastic football player in the game. I think Gary is the best player in the league, and it's not even close uh, between him and number two. Well, something happened in the offseason in Seattle, uh, whether that was Carroll, whether that was John Schneider. They're putting the ball in Russell Wilson's hands from the first snap. I think they've, they've realized they've got two really good wide receivers in Metcalf and, and then the little slot guy, I can't think of his name right now, who's, who's pretty crafty. You had about 80 or 90 catches last year. And Carson's one heck of a running back too, Gary, who can, who can leak out of the backfield and catch the ball. And then Russell just does magical things. So they're not banging away 60% of the uh, snaps the first half and even two-thirds or three-quarters of the football game. They're just giving it to Russell from the start and saying, you know what, let's go put some points on the board. And, and he did it last week against, against Belichick. He did it in week one. Like you said, I, I think that, de- that defense needs to find a way to get more pressure on quarterbacks, Gary. I think they only have one sack. But Adams is a stud. There's no doubt about it. They're much better in the defensive backfield. If I had to guess right now, Gary, I, I think you're spot on. If I had to bet 10 bucks, I'd say Packers-Seahawks will be the NFC Championship game. I think you're spot on. <laughs> you usually are, right? Yeah, I got to tell you. What, the, well, when, we're only what, two weeks in. Let's, let's not forget. But they, are, they have clearly jumped to the head of the NFC to me. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. I'm a big Russell Wilson fan, always have been. But especially this year, Rob, 
I have them in my fantasy football league. And get this, <laughs> you know who my running backs are? I'm still blown away that I was able to get these three guys. Wilson at quarterback, okay? Derrick Henry and Aaron Jones. <laughs> Is that a triumvirate or what? <laughs> and, so. and Tyler Lockett's that little slot guy I couldn't think of. That's his name. Lockett. And exactly. Those, Lock, those, very those, underrated those, player. Right. Very underrated. Those are the, that, that's the best duo Russell has ever had at wide receiver. And the running back is, is outstanding too in Carson. So yeah, but kudos on your fantasy hall. I just, it, it was bugging me that I couldn't think of Lockett's name. Yeah. That, that was probably the uh, kiss of death right there. They'll all go down next week or whatever. So. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> anyways, uh, Rob, I'll tell you what. Yeah. They'll, they'll all go see Quan Barkley. And won't they oh, don't say that. Don't say, you know what? This was a fun show. I learned a lot today, which I always enjoy when I talk to you. I know I'm going to walk away being more knowledgeable about the green and gold. And I'll tell you what, you had an Aaron Jones-like performance today. (laughs) So anyways, let's wrap this up, Rob. Thanks for coming in. And thank you to all the listeners. And we'll see you next week. Take care. For more sports news, check back every Tuesday for our latest show. You can also follow Gary on Twitter at GaryWoofle and Wuffle's Press Box.com.